know that you have any idea what you just watched, because I know I don't. I have watched that video 10 plus times this week and then throughout the weekend and every single time I see it, I realize I have no idea what I just watched. I mean, think about it, right? I am pure. I am holy. I am unblemished. I am unstained. I am right with God. I am at peace with God. Not because of anything I've done or I deserve, but because of the work that God has done for me. I am these things. See, I have been following Jesus pretty intimately for 30 plus years now. And, and the whole part about getting to go to heaven, I, I get that, right? I mean, I get that. He came, he rescued me, so I don't have to leave planet Earth and be separated from him forever. I get to go to heaven. That's an easy part for me. But the present reality that the gospel communicates about me, that's hard to get. I am these things, not I will be someday. These are realities that are defined. I love what the video said. God defines who I am, not my past, not my baggage, not my failures. They do not define me. God defines me. I mean, these are extraordinary realities that, that if grasped, change everything for us. I mean, listen to this. This is out of the book of Galatians, right? Now, we live in a world where whenever something is done for us on, on any level, by anybody, there is this lingering thought behind it. Why did you do it? Why, why did you do it? What is it you want? What is it you need? What is it I owe you now? What is it that you did it for? What is it you got out of it? What is it you want out of it, right? I mean, even with God, isn't that true? Now that he's rescued us, what does he demand from you? What does he require of you? What does he want from you? Why did he rescue you? Listen to this, here it is, okay? Galatians chapter five, verse one. <clears throat> for freedom, Christ has set us free. I mean, there's no more. I'm going to stop there. You're waiting for more. I can tell. There, there's no more. For freedom, Christ set us free. What does he want after his great work of redemption? He wants us to be free. It is for freedom that he set us free so we can be free because it is freedom that he is affecting constantly through his redemptive work rescuing us from the dominion of darkness, the life of darkness in which we live, and bringing us into light, life, and freedom. Freedom from so much. Freedom from our baggage, the rubble under which we live, the realities of the cynicism and bitterness that has affected because we thought we would get and we did not. The hurt and pain that has been affected us. He came to set us free from so much, and that's what he wants for us. This is baptism weekend. That's what this is. We're, we're in baptism weekend. You guys are going to experience some baptisms this weekend. And, and when we get to baptism weekend here at Mosaic Church, it's on a regular rhythm. We clear the entire weekend just for baptisms. That's what we do. We, we get out of the book of Acts. We step off the series we're in. We get out of all the regular things we do. And we go, oh, it's baptism weekend. Everything stops. And we focus acutely on baptisms. Why? Why do we do that? I mean, it would be just as powerful, frankly, to do the baptisms at the end of the service for the last 10 to 15 minutes for the people that are being baptized. It would be equally powerful because they are going to experience that anyway. 
So if we just did a regular gathering every time we got to baptisms and then at the end of the service, these baptisms were so excited and we just did baptisms, there'd be nothing inappropriate about that. That would be perfectly appropriate. But why is it that we clear the table and go, oh, no, no, no. When baptisms come around, we go from start to finish in the gatherings and that's all we talk about. Why? Because baptisms are an ideal moment for us to once again on a regular rhythm be reminded of the magnitude of the message of the gospel, the reality of the gospel, the beautiful story of Jesus and what he has done for us, what he is doing for us, what he will do for us. Because we forget, man, we forget get so quickly. We remember we're going to heaven, but we forget about who we are. And baptisms is really a moment where people get into a space and they shout to you and me, this is who I am. I have found out who I was and now who I am in Christ. And I'm here to tell you, I am. First Peter chapter two, the, these people shout to us, I, I am a chosen race now. I am a royal priesthood. I am a holy nation. I am a people belonging to God. I am designed to declare his excellencies to the world. I once was not a people of God, but now I am a people of God. I once did not receive mercy, but now I have received mercy. And we are reminded, wow, that's right. This is also our reality. The baptisms are a moment where as they declare who they are, they declare their soul rescue. They declare their discovery, their revelation of the great message and reality of the gospel. We get to sit in that and go, oh yes, that's right. I am also these things. This is our privilege. And this is what they are declaring. They are declaring their soul rescue. They're getting in the baptismal pool to say, hey, I know Jesus now. And because I know Jesus, I am at peace with God. Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since you have been justified or made righteous or declared not guilty, that's the word justified. If you have been, now that you have been justified through faith, you are at peace. Peace with God. You once stood in his wrath, a, a child of wrath, but now you are at peace with him. This is the message of our soul rescue. Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse one. While you were dead in your sins, your transgressions, chasing after the passions of this world, the passions of your flesh, chasing after the prince of the air of this world, a child of wrath, it says in Ephesians chapter two, a child in the pathway of God's wrath. You think you've had a bad day, bad week, bad life? You should try the wrath of God. That will make anything you've gone through look like a joke. And I'm not being sarcastic. I know some of you have had very difficult stories. But the wrath of God makes all of that look like nothing. This is who we were. And when we declare our soul rescue, this is what we say. Ephesians chapter 2 starts that way and then it goes like this. But because of his great love for us. He made us alive in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on from there and it just talks about how we were rescued not by anything we did, but by the grace of God alone, by his mercy alone. Even the faith we bring to the table in Hebrews, it tells us he is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that even gives us the faith we need to be, to be a person saying, Jesus, I have faith in you. We have done nothing. He has done everything and we are rescued. 
We remember because we hear the story. Oh, that's right. When I was created, I was created in extraordinary purpose to know God intimately and to make him known, image him. But I was, I was deceived by the enemy along with all of humanity to believe that uh, living for my own story and my own glory was a better way, being my own God. And then I, we ate of the fruit and we became our own gods and it didn't turn out well for us. And we were lost to life and light and freedom. But Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us that the story of God is that he pursued us, that he redeemed us. That is to buy us back and he rescued our souls. This is what is declared to us and we get to live in that in the weekend of baptism. Walking out of here going, yes, my soul is rescued. What more could I want? And, and if that's all that happened, if that's all that occurred on baptism weekend, would that not be enough? Would it not be enough just to declare our soul rescue, to be, to be washed in it once again, to walk out of here going, my soul is rescued. Anything I face this week, I can face measured by that reality. I am this person. This is who I am. But the gospel does not stop there. As though the gospel says, oh gosh, well, this is just the beginning. Do you have any idea the magnitude of the message and reality of the gospel? Because what we know is that the gospel doesn't simply tell us that our souls are rescued. And so that our future is redeemed so we get to go to heaven and be with God forever in his beauty, life, light, and freedom. That's not what the gospel says is only what occurs when it rescues us. It says, no, 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 wait, 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 I'm not done yet. Not only do I rescue your soul and redeem your future, but in between those two spaces from soul rescue to future redeemed, you've got this life you're living on planet earth and I've left you here. Why? Because I am restoring your purpose. I was, I, was, I was restoring you to what I created you to be. You see, this longing in us is because we were created for one thing, but we live another. We were created to make God known and to know him and, and image him, but we are so constantly driven by the needs that exist in us because we don't know God that we are clawing for our own salvation where we save ourselves by what we have. And God goes, that's exhausting. You, you must be very cynical by now. You must be exhausted and tired. You must be practically done with that story. But don't worry, I've got a much bigger one for you. Where you can once again live right in the space you live now. I don't need you to quit your job and go live in a monastery in Alaska. In the story that used to be the very drive that drove you like a rat in a cage to try to make a life for yourself. In that story, I will change it now. You'll still live in it. You'll still do what you're doing. But the purpose for which you are doing it will absolutely change. I will give you this beautiful calling that because you are new, you now live for me to make me known again. And in that you become an ambassador for me, making known the realities of who I am. Listen to this. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul literally maps this out for us, coming out of our newness. Listen to what he says. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, notice the anyone there, right? I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your baggage is. I don't care what your life story is. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. I don't care if you're a child or an adult. I don't care if you've had a great life or a horrible life. I don't care if you've hated God all your life or if you've loved him all your life. I don't care if you're slave or free. I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile. I don't care your ethnicity. I don't care about any of that in light of this verse because it says what if 
anyone is in Christ. So that is the great equalizer, right? Whatever your story was, if you are in Christ, this is your story now. And it doesn't matter where you come from, how different we are. This is all of our story if we are in Christ. Listen, if anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation. The old has passed away. It has died. It is dead. It is gone, right? Behold, the new has come. This is not a future reality, folks. Do you hear the, the, the tenses in this? It is about the here and now. Yes, we will experience the full expression of this current reality when we leave this body of death. But in the meantime, we are actually this. Our body just hasn't caught up with that yet. That's the beautiful sanctifying process of becoming like Jesus over time because this thing's the problem. We're still stuck on this planet. Look at this. All this is from God, it says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and here it is, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their sins against them and entrusting to us the message of this reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And then Paul writes, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then as though to end it, he says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, this is our reality. And baptism shouts to us from the baptismal pool, not only soul rescue, remember your soul is rescued, my soul is rescued, we are right with God, at peace with God by his grace alone. It shouts at us, but it also shouts, don't forget, you are an ambassador for Christ, you are a minister of reconciliation. He did not simply rescue you so you could survive planet earth and die and go to heaven. He rescued you and made made you a powerful force of redemption on planet earth, light, life, and freedom. This is not our obligation, it is our invitation. You get to live this way now. One of my boys uh, is in, in the beginning stages of, of stepping into the concept of baptism. I'm, I'm very excited, and uh, he's had some great spiritual awakenings over the last few months, and, and so uh, this summer he was with the student ministries uh, on the, the Big Stuff camp, and there he really discovered in real terms the gospel, and, and so he came back from that, and I, I talked to some of the student ministries guys, and I said, oh man, uh, he's, he's really, I think he's got a great grasp on the reality of the gospel, what it has done for his soul. So I've been kind of dealing with him a little bit over the last few months and he came to me recently and said, hey, I, I want to I get baptized and I'm like, sweet, that's awesome. I got to sit down with him just recently before this weekend's baptisms and say, okay, so here's the deal. Let's, let's talk about soul rescue, the gospel and its, its message of soul rescue and, and he's got that down. And then I said to him, now listen, when, when you step into baptism, baptism isn't just declaring to people, my soul is rescued, yay. I get to go be with Jesus forever. It's also saying to them, and I plan to follow Jesus the rest of my life. So that's what baptism is. It is a declaration of the intent to actually follow this rabbi and live life his way. And I said, you gotta think about that. Are you ready to step in and say, this is what I wanna do? 
And together we determined, man, let's do baptism next time around to give you some time to meditate on that. Because that's more difficult. That's more difficult to declare that. And so what a beautiful reality that we hear from baptism. These people are stepping in and saying this. I intend to follow Jesus the rest of my life. And I'm hoping you all will follow with me so I can follow you as, fo- as you follow Christ. So that ought to beg a question for us, ought it not? Well, hold on, hold on. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It's one thing to know Jesus and to know that your soul is rescued. What does it mean to follow Jesus, to actually follow him? Well, we've had the unique privilege over the last three weeks here at Mosaic to work through a series called Life. If you missed it, go podcast it. We did three weeks and we talked about uh, our relationships and uh, what they look like in light of life with Jesus. We looked at our stuff, our resources, and talked about what that looks like in the light of Jesus. And then we talked last week about soul uh, care and soul rest and what that looks like in the light of Jesus, right? And, And here's what we discovered as we stepped into that world and we stepped into soul care last weekend. Jesus had a very particular life he lived, a very particular rhythm he lived in. And we are challenged to step into that rhythm. What do we know about Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, here it is, it's not complicated. The scriptures lays it out. We have the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John telling us here's the life of Jesus. What do we know about Jesus, our rabbi, our savior, our creator, our God, our rescuer? Here's what we know about him. Number one, we know this about Jesus. From the second he entered humanity, in conception in his mother's womb, Jesus was on mission. We know that. You cannot read about Jesus and not catch that he was on mission. He was on mission the second he was conceived. And you go, oh, he was 30 years old before he started his ministry. Oh, stop. I push back on that one. Divinity crawled into a human body. That's where his mission began. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that was? Those 30 years before he started ministry, I bet he was just going, oh my goodness, this is insane. He was on mission the second he was conceived, becoming flesh. That was uncomfortable. Jesus started his journey on planet Earth in a very uncomfortable space. And he stayed in that space, voluntarily setting aside his divine attributes for the sake of our rescue, depending on the Spirit of God to do for him what he could equally do for himself. But he did it uncomfortably for us. And the entire journey on planet Earth, he's in uncomfortable places with uncomfortable people doing uncomfortable things. Man, our Savior was on mission from the second he entered our story. And then, as though that was not enough, what did he do? He let the very people he came to rescue uh, lay him down on a piece of wood and nail his hands and feet to it and crucify him and watch him die. I mean, you're like, this is insanity. He goes, yes, don't worry. It's all part of a great work of redemption. And then he came back from the dead to show us something. When you live on mission, it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to struggle And the very people you're trying to rescue may very well try to kill you. We've got plenty of stories like that. But when that happens, know this, that my story always ends with a resurrection and a making brand new. Not always in your timing, not always the way you want it, but always that promise. 
We have a savior, a master, a rabbi that lived on mission. If we are not living on mission, we are not living Jesus' life. We're just not. Oh, maybe our souls are still rescued. Maybe we're still all good there. But this invitation to say, follow me, that's not our life if we are not living on mission. How do we know? This is what Jesus said before he died. If you're going to follow me, here's what I want you to do. Daily, take up your cross and follow me. Why? Because Jesus' entire work was a work of redemption and we are now what? Ministers of reconciliation. So what is our entire life work now? A journey of being redemptive on behalf of Christ. We seek out the uncomfortable stories around us in our neighborhoods, uh, in our workplaces, in our spaces of influence, in our schools, in our globe, and we go there entering the darkness, entering the uncomfortable spaces, and we take on the redemptive stories, and they are heavy. And we bear them well, because we are empowered by the Spirit. And if we die on those redemptive stories, we wait patiently for God to resurrect our stories, because that's what our rabbi did. But we also discover this, don't we? He did not simply live on mission, exhausted and burdened and bitter. And that's what I find happens to us a lot. We get in mission following Jesus, whoop, whoop. And then the mission gets really heavy and hard, ooh, ooh. And then right after that, what happens, right? We start, we start having this kind of attitude. I'm bearing it for Jesus, but I'm doing it. I hate it, but I'm doing it. And don't get me wrong, I've been there. And we're like, oh, you know, even if I have to live till I die this way, it's okay because it's for Jesus. I'm like, yeah, you could live like that, good and faithful servant, well done, but that sounds horrid. And if we just did that, we would still be following Jesus in this space, but we ask ourselves, why wasn't Jesus bitter constantly through his journey? Why didn't he walk around like this? Oh gosh, I'm gonna save these stupid people. <laughs> no, I mean, really. His, his mission was much harder than ours. And then we discover the secret, don't we? On mission, Jesus had a rhythm, and his rhythm was very intentional, and we should learn from his rhythm. See, Jesus would work hard on mission with people, stepping into uncomfortable places, taking on lots of very difficult stories to the point of the cross. But Luke tells us five different times that Jesus often went away to lonely places to be alone with his father. Jesus had a rhythm of solitude in his life, a rhythm of escaping to a place with his father. Why? Because Jesus knew what was coming. He knew he would be sitting in a garden one day, sweating blood and facing the cross, and he knew if he wasn't intimate with the Father then, that would be problematic. He might actually walk away, but he didn't walk away. Why? Because in the garden he said this, Father, I am still here for you, with you, and if you don't want this cup to pass, count me in. How could he do that? Because throughout his life he had a rhythm of solitude with his Father. He never knew neglected that. And here at Mosaic Church, I got to confess to you guys, man, we have learned well what it means to follow Jesus on mission. We have. Many of you are still learning it. Many of you have learned it. Many of you are exploring the missional life. 
We have learned well how to do that. But if we are not careful and we do not learn well how to live in the rhythms of solitude with Jesus, we will live the exhausted missional life, the bitter missional life. We will still at least be on mission, but we will not enjoy the freedoms that are ours to enjoy in the life we live on mission. Jesus lived on mission, yet he transcended mission. And we transcend mission when we live in the rhythms of Jesus. Work hard on mission, then step into solitude. We are beings that love isolation. Whenever we're a little uncomfortable, we isolate ourselves. That we're good at. But isolation and solitude are not the same thing. Do not kid yourself. I'm just alone. I'm solituding. No, no, you're not. Isolation is when you are alone with yourself. And that is the most dangerous place a human being can be because you cannot trust yourself. Solitude is when you're alone with God. Solitude is an intentional act of getting away from the noise to be with your creator. And Jesus said, if you wanna live on mission, you gotta learn to live in moments of solitude with me regularly, often, We are just starting to learn that here at Mosaic. It's not a call out of mission. Stop living on mission, go be a monk. That's not what it is. It's saying while on mission, make sure you have a Jesus rhythm in your life. Jesus worked hard, then he would go be alone, and then after he was alone, he would come and engage in deep community with his brothers. Jesus was always with his dad alone for periods, with his brothers alone for periods, and then on mission with all of them together for periods. And the missional life never stopped for Jesus. When he went to be alone with the Father, the mission didn't end. He didn't crawl out of his human body and go hang out in heaven. He stayed right here in his human body in his uncomfortable place, but he was with his Father. And we need to learn the rhythm of Jesus. To follow Jesus means to say, I'm on mission. To follow Jesus means to say, I'm alone with God regularly. And to follow Jesus means to say, I'm in community regularly with my brothers and sisters. Those are priorities in my life. And when the people step into baptism, they step into baptism and they say to us, I intend to follow Jesus. Would you lead me well? And that should humble us. They are submitting themselves to us as a biblical community in that baptismal pool. They're saying to us, I am humbly submitting myself to you to say, I want to learn the ways of Jesus. Will you show me? And before we humbly submit ourselves back to them saying, yes, follow us as we follow Christ, we ought to stop and go, oh, do I follow Jesus? But I know Jesus, my soul is rescued. I've been reminded of that, my identity secure. It does not require me following the ways of Jesus to still be secure in Christ. I I want you to hear that. This is not a requirement for your salvation. You are not a holy people, a royal priesthood, a nation belonging to God if you do it Jesus' way. That's not how it works. You are already these things because of the work of Jesus, but now he invites you to experience that freedom on planet Earth in an incredible sequence of life. If you lose the life you currently have for the life I'm offering, mission, solitude, community, in a Sabbath or ceasing rhythm, then you will find the life that I have created you for. The only thing Jesus doesn't want is for you to keep the life you currently have. 
Because it's not good. Okay, it's not good. He doesn't hate you. He just knows you're stuck. So he's going, I want to undo that so we can give you what is waiting. And then as we walk into that life, suddenly some things emerge. If we get this, guys, if we get this, because our friends being baptized beg it from us again, declaring our identity once again and then begging for us to follow well, this is what happens. Listen now, this matters a great deal. Number one, we discover what it means to live in the freedom that Jesus has already effected for us. Living outside of the rubble, the baggage, the cynicism, the bitterness, the hurt, the pain, the exhaustion, the constant burdens of this life. He wants you and I free from those. It is for freedom that I have set you free. And when we begin to live in that freedom, what do we begin to look like to the world? Do we look like an exhausted bunch of religious nuts who are trying to do crazy things to prove to everybody that we're better than they are? No, we don't. That's what we look like when we're doing this out of a legalistic obligation to try to prove to God that we're worthy of his love. Now, when when they see our true freedom living in this space where we are living in the realities of our identity, they look at us and they go, who are you? Gosh, you just seem so at peace with God. People need to see us rested, folks. Can I say that again? People need to see us rested, not exhausted. But they need to see us rested on mission, not rested because we've escaped mission. And this is what we do. We bring our freedom to the table. That's the first thing. The second thing is in that freedom, we begin to live a particular kind of life because we're free. And this life is the life that brings light to the world. Listen, it's described, and I want to close with this so you can hear this and go, wow, this is where we are going. This is what we are called into as we walk toward the life that Jesus has for us. In Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, this is what he says. The very first part of Romans chapter 12, he says, therefore in view of God's mercy, present yourselves as living sacrifices. So he goes, it begins with a reminder of who we are in Christ and what he's done for us, right? Now we get that here on baptism weekend because they're declaring their soul rescue. We're reminded of it and we go, wow, look what God has done for us, unbelievable. And then we go, God, I wanna live for you and I wanna live your story, your life, not mine, right? We're invited into that. Then it talks for a brief couple of verses about the community. It says, hey, P.S., you're not alone. By the way, you don't get to do this alone. You're like a finger or a toe or like a liver, maybe an eye. I don't know. You're one of the organs in the large body of Christ. So try to do life alone as a liver. (laughs) Good luck. Liver on a table. Five, four, three, two, one, dead liver. (laughs) Right? Finger, lose a finger, you got about, I don't know, what is it, three, four minutes before the blood, st- and then, and then it's, it's done, they can't sew it back on, right? Any one of us living outside a community, no matter how awesome we are on our own, we are dead without the body. And so what it's saying is, listen, I created you to, 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 to be this extraordinary rescued person in community with the body, discovering your part, and then, here's what Paul writes, this is our future, Now you'll know why it matters so much that we remind ourselves of our gospel reality so often. My soul is rescued, my purpose restored. This is what life looks like. Following Jesus, count me in, watch. Verse nine of chapter 12. Let love be genuine, he says. Can I just stop there? Do I need to read on, do I? Isn't that enough? 
Can you imagine what our lives would look like if our love was just always genuine? Your love toward your spouse, your love toward your children, your love toward your parents, your love toward your coworkers, your love toward your friends, your love toward your enemies was always genuine. Done, finished, don't read on. Oh, but wait, that's sentence one of an entire paragraph. This is our life when we get all this stuff and are reminded. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing, showing honor. This is what our lives will look like. Oh, I'm gonna out honor you. You trying to honor me? Watch this. I'm gonna make you so honored you won't know what to do with yourself. No, you won't. I'm gonna honor you more. No, I'm gonna honor you more. Husbands, wives, try that one on for style. <laughs> this month, I'm out honoring that guy. Oh man, he might be a jerk now, but watch by the end of the month when I have out-honored him every single day. Can you imagine if your marriage was a constant out-honoring of each other? Oh, wait, wait, hold, hold, what? Yeah. You can taste the freedom, can't you? This is our life in Christ when we get this stuff and we hold on to it. Listen to this, listen to this. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Don't be slow in passion, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation or struggle. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave, it, uh, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, we will heap burning coals on his head. That's not like a we'll kill them with fire. That is actually, we will bring repentance to them. Because in scripture, the burning coals were always a way of God burning through us to bring us to life. Wow. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can you imagine if this was our life? if this was our everyday life, dare I say this to you? If we are reminded of the gospel enough and we live in that reminder enough, eventually the fruit of the spirit that is born in us will produce this life in us. We will not produce it in ourselves, good luck. But if we linger in the gospel often, so often that we hardly breathe without it, this will become our story. And when it does, our friendships, our marriages, our parent-child relationships, our sibling relationships, our workplace relationships, our roommate relationships, our school relationships, our enemy relationships will be so supernaturally mind-blowing that the world will look in and see light and life and freedom in us, through us, and they will go, I beg you, Show me who you follow. Does it matter that we get this right? Yes, it matters. It matters for our souls. It matters for our freedom. And it matters for their souls and their freedom. But most of all, it matters because he said it matters to him.
It matters for His glory. It matters for His intent for our freedom. Baptism weekend, welcome. Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible, incredible love for us. A love that weeds through our rubble and our baggage and whispers to our soul and says, I have come for you. Just like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, God, he, he begged us, respond to God's love. I beg you, reconcile to God. He's waiting to give you freedom. God, may we all in this place be reminded of what you've done for us. And for those here that do not yet know you, God, may this be a space for them to just stare in and wonder, could this be true? Could this be true? Could this be true? And may they see in us its truth as we become more like our rabbi every day. God, for those being baptized now, may their lives and their stories scream at us. God is good, God is good, God is good. He has rescued my soul. He has restored my purpose. I intend to follow him. Would you lead me well? And may we in response humbly submit ourselves to one another saying, I will follow Jesus in his way so that you can follow me as I follow Christ. Make us a community that gets this so that we can walk into the darkness with light and life and freedom in our hands and touch what is unclean to bring life back into it. Thank you for inviting us to be ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of your great life, Jesus. May we live on mission unceasingly. May we live in rhythms of solitude regularly. And may we be in community constantly in a Sabbath life, a Jesus life. We love you. We pray in your precious and holy name. Amen.